Well, good morning, everyone. We are finishing today uh, the book of James. This is week 12 uh, of our series on the book of James. And uh, when I started this, uh, I, I thought, man, 12 weeks is a lot. Uh, 12 weeks is about three times as long as I've ever let a series go before. Uh, and, and now that we're at the end of it, I, I'm not ready for it to be over. Uh, I'm ready to start back at the beginning of James. So who knows? We may... Uh, one of these days we'll come back to, to James, but next week I am really excited because we're going to walk through uh, one, of, one of the most well-known chapters in the Bible, uh, Romans chapter 8. And, and, and if you don't know Romans chapter 8, what I would encourage you to do is over the next week, uh, take time to read that. Uh, 30 some odd verses in Romans 8. But what Romans 8 does is we've talked a lot about the gospel the gospel message. What Romans 8 does is it lays out what the gospel message actually means for you and I. What it actually means both now and eternally for you and I. It is one of the richest chapters in the Bible. I love the way Paul words things. And so over the next week, what I would challenge you to do is take your Bibles, read Romans chapter 8, and be prepared as we start verse by verse walking through that next week. In addition to that, here's my challenge for you. One of the things that we as, as Western Christians don't honestly do very well uh, is memorize Scripture. Now, I know there's some of you that probably do, uh, but one of the things that if you're like me, uh, you just feel like it's just not something that I can do. Well, we have a solution for you. So as we launch into our Romans 8 series next week, we have got booklets for you. I believe those are going to be in the back. Uh, Alex will, will let you know where they're going to be at the end of service. Uh, but I would hope that you would grab one of those. Uh, use that throughout our Romans 8 series. And every day, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to, rem to remember, to memorize more of Romans 8. We take it chunks, uh, not the whole thing at once, just little bites at a time. And what you'll find is if you follow that, now, by the end of that, you will have all of Romans 8 memorized. So there is no excuse of you cannot do that because you can. You can do that, and we have made it easier for you. Uh, and so Alex will let you know where those are going to be, but I hope you'll grab uh, one of those booklets that he's worked really hard on. Well, today, uh, we're going to kind of be pulling double duty. Uh, we're going to be walking through uh, James chapter 5, uh, the last section, verses 13 through 20 but also kind of wrapping up the entirety of James as a whole and kind of piecing together everything that we've walked through over the course of walking through this book. But what you'll find is that James' overall theme, that if he came back to really one word that summarizes all of James and what he's trying to encourage this group of believers to buy into is this, perseverance. If there is one word that can summarize all of the book of James, it's, it's perseverance. A faith that lasts. A, a faith that continues on. Now remember, from the very beginning, we've said this is a group of Christians who are dealing with immense persecution. They've lost everything. They've lost homes. They've lost family. They've lost livelihoods. These are a group of people who are scattered all over that have lost everything for the sake of Jesus Christ. And what, what does James offer them in the way of condolence? What does he offer them in the way of, of encouraging? He says, persevere. Continue walking with the Lord. And he's going to come to the end today. And he's really going to give us this practical idea of how this works itself out in your life and in my life. But I want to make sure you understand this. 
Over the course of this book, what constantly comes back to me in the way of feedback is, man, James continually steps on my toes. Constantly is stepping on my toes. And I want to encourage you with this. He should. This book should step on your toes. Why? James is not interested in your perfection. James is not writing this to these group of believers and saying that that hopefully one day you'll get all of this figured out and you'll never struggle with this anymore. No, what James is trying to remind the believers in the church in Jerusalem that are scattered is this. What grace of God is on display that he will mold you into his image more and more through your failures, through your trials, through your struggles. What grace of God is on display and that he doesn't just write you off at the beginning. No, James is reminding them, listen, you've got to continue to walk this out. Stay connected to him. Whether that is through prayer or whether that is through other believers, you've got to stay connected to the Father. But don't miss his grace that is on display and that he allows us to fall. He he knows our hearts. He knows that we'll never get it exactly right this side of eternity. And yet he continues to stay faithful through his son, Jesus Christ. Do not miss the grace that is on display. And so James' encouragement for both these believers in Jerusalem and for us is to keep going. In the midst of struggle, in the midst of trials, in the midst of failure, keep walking with him. God is still at work in you. So church, keep walking with him. Keep praying to him. Keep reading his word and obeying it, practically walking this out. James is reminding you that he is faithful to fill the promises that he's given, that he will continue to make you more and more like the image of his son. He's continually refining you. He's continually chipping away. He's continually making you new and redeeming you. And his grace is on display in that. And at the end of it all, what you can trust is something that Paul writes in the book of Philippians chapter one, he says this. He says, being confident of this, meaning you can trust this promise, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The promise that is on display throughout the word, both in James and throughout the New Testament and the Old, is this. He will be faithful to fill the promise that he's given you. That you are being made new. And he will see it through to completion if you will continue to walk in obedience with him. This is exactly what the section of James we looked at last week was saying as well. In the middle of struggle, in the middle of trial that feels like it will never end, James says, be patient And stand firm, for the Lord's coming is near. So as we walk through the book of James, and James talks about faith, I want to remind us of this. We are after a faith that lasts. That sounds simple, but we are after a faith that that lasts, a faith that perseveres, a faith that isn't tossed by every emotion of the moment. 
We're not after a faith that is questioned in every low moment and discarded in every high moment. No, we are after a faith in Christ that lasts, a faith that perseveres regardless of the circumstances. And so this is the call that James's letter really has on these believers. He's saying, continue to walk in him. Press into him because you're after a faith that lasts, one that is rooted in Christ regardless of circumstances. So this morning, we are coming full circle in James's letter. I want to remind you of how James began. He says this in verse 1. This won't be on the screen, but this is what James kind of started writing to this group of believers about. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Again, he's saying, listen, for those who would cling to Christ in the middle of pain, in the middle of struggle, what you'll find is that when trials come, when struggles come, pressing into him will continue to refine your faith. It it is this kind of faith that we're after. And so James ends in the same way. He says this in chapter 5, verse 13, as we begin this section that we're looking through this morning. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. If we could boil this down, what James is actually saying is this. In all times, in all circumstances, in all things, pray. Press in to him. Are things going well? Great, praise him. Are you struggling? Are you suffering? Go to him in prayer. Are you sick? Pray. Again, James is trying to bring us back to this idea that our faith is not circumstantial. Whatever highs and lows that we feel in the moment are not something that we we hope sways us from following after Christ. What James is saying is, listen, regardless of what's going on in your world, pray. Are are things going wrong? Are are you suffering? Is is trouble in your life? Go to him. The one who knows your pain, the one who knows your struggle. Is life going great? It seems like everything is smooth sailing. Then go to him because praise him. It's, It's from him. James reminds us that every good and perfect gift comes from him. And so it's a reminder that when life is going great, it is a gift of his grace, one that is undeserved. And if we're sick, go to him in prayer. In all things, church, go to him in prayer. It's a clear reminder that as we wait for Christ's return, which James laid out last week, whether we're suffering or life is going great, this is not a passive waiting that we're a part of. We don't just sit on our hands and and wait. When is the Lord coming? When is this going to happen? Let's just wait it out. No, what James is trying to remind us is this is an active waiting. You get to play a part in this. You get to have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. No, this is not a passive waiting. 
This is actively waiting, building this relationship with him that only comes from his grace while we wait for his return to make all things new. But the patience that James continually comes back to through his book that is required to continue on in the face of suffering, to press on in the middle of things going great when maybe you feel like you don't need him, the patience that comes to continue to walk with him, James reminds us, is only available through God. It is only available through him. And what James is trying to to get the church to buy into is that prayer is the way that we obtain it. On that vein, I want to stop for just a moment and ask the question, who are we? Who am I that the creator of the world That the one who is so far above me, the one who is perfect, who is righteous, who is holy, would hear our prayers. Who are you? Who am I? In this life that I've got to be honest, feels like it is marked by sin and pain and suffering. And, and, and I feel like, Paul, that, that I, I do the things that I don't want to do and the things that I should do, I don't do. Who are we that God would hear us? That God would welcome our prayers? Because what I hope you'll, you'll see through this is that we don't deserve it. I don't deserve to have the most high God hear my prayers, my petitions, my wants, my desires. I don't deserve to have him hear those. And yet, the grace and the goodness of God is on display. And that as messed up of a people as we are, he welcomes our prayers. He hears our prayers. How good and gracious is God. And so all through this letter, what James is attempting to do is, is redirect our faith. Redirect our eyes to see above the circumstances of the moment and see God for who he really is and his goodness and his mercy regardless of circumstances. And so he reminds us, whatever's going on, pray. Go to him. Cling to him. He continues in verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the reason why I said right before that that James is attempting to lift our eyes above the here and now, uh, above just the surface level, is because as we look at this verse, There has been many a false theology built around this. That if you pray, if you read that from a surface level, it feels like what James is saying is that that if you pray, God will heal. When in reality, that's not fooling any of us. 
all of us know times that we've prayed and God hasn't healed, at least in the moment. We've prayed for the sick person, we've prayed for the suffering, and, and yet as much as we've prayed, as, as faithful as we've gone to him, it doesn't seem like God has answered the way that we desired. So don't miss what James is saying here. James is saying this, that for the believer, regardless of circumstances, regardless of, of sickness or health, regardless of, of suffering or, or an ease of life, what James is trying to bring them back to is that on the other side of eternity, they will be healed. Fully, completely, forever, because of Christ. All of us are aware of times when we've prayed and it seems like God has not answered, but the reality is this. For those who have put their trust in Christ, regardless of this life, whatever pain, whatever suffering, there is a life to come where there is no more pain and no more suffering. God will heal. He will. If not this side of eternity, certainly the next. But there's a couple things that James tries to kind of bring to our attention. And I believe the first is this. James is offering something more important than physical healing. He's offering eternal salvation through Christ. What James is saying is, is listen, because of what Christ has done, because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, what you can trust is that on the other side of eternity, healing is coming. Salvation is here. Salvation has come through Christ. So what you need more, what you need more than physical healing is eternal salvation. E eternal healing. This is what you desperately need. And so James is reminding the church Pray with one another. Share the gospel with one another. Remind each other of the gospel truth that heals fully, completely, forever. Remind each other of this. Because as James says, if they have sinned and they have understood the gospel and repented, they will be forgiven. And so there is a directive to the church to pray, but also in verse 16, to, to pray and confess with one another. You want to start seeing what your and my role is as the church in this. It's to pray with one another. It's to confess our sins to one another. Now, not necessarily in this public setting, but, but in a trusted relationship with one another, this is what we're called to do to repent, to confess our sins to one another, to pray with one another. And what God has promised is that he's faithful to forgive. He continues by giving an example in verse 17 that these, these Christians would have been well familiar with. He says, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. 
Again, James is giving them a, a, a story, a person, a, a figure in their uh, religious mind that they would have been well familiar with. The prophet Elijah. And in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, Elijah is told to prophesy that it, that it would not rain. Later on, he's told to prophesy that it is going to rain. For, for three and a half years, it is not going to rain. And what we're told, because it seems to be as we come to these stories, I think what James understood is that we often elevate them to this place of, that's just not something that I can obtain. It's not, not something that I have enough faith for when the reality is James is reminded that the prophets, they're just like you and I. They're humans just like us. The reality of of Elijah prophesying is not that he did anything himself, but he simply obeyed what God told him to do. And when he prayed, he was just trusting in God's promise. God had promised him through his prophecy, this is what's going to happen. It's not going to rain for three and a half years, and then when I say it's going to rain, it's going to rain. Elijah's response to God's word is to trust in him, to to pray the word. And so what James is trying to to wrap our minds around is these these religious figures that that you may have elevated above are, are simply humans like you and I. James is also giving us a directive that as we pray, pray the word. You don't know what to say. You don't know what words to say. Go to the word. Pray the word. Obey the word. Walk in that trust that what God has said he will do, he will do. Trust God's promises. And so, what Elijah was not doing was was demanding God to move. Uh, Again, there is a growing movement, growing ideology within the Christian faith that allows us to believe that you and I can simply direct God to do whatever it is that we want. What I would submit to you is this, that what you've actually done is made yourself God if you buy into that mindset. Because now you're the one that controls things. You're the one that tells God what to do. And as we approach God for who he is and his holiness and his righteousness, what you'll find is that you ain't telling God what to do. (laughs) He's gonna do what he wants to do. That is why he is God and you and I aren't. So what Elijah is not doing in this moment is demanding, God, this is what you're going to do. This is what I want you to do. No, he's simply agreeing. He's simply coming alongside what God has already promised. He said, God, this is, this is what you've promised to do. This is your will. So Father, may your will be done. As you want to approach this idea of prayer, This is what James is trying to get us centered around. That as we pray, it is not us throwing these list of demands on God, but it is us simply coming with God and saying, Father, whatever your will is, may it be done. 
God, whatever you have ordained, God, whatever you have willed, may you see it through. This is the prayer of a righteous person that James is talking about. One who approaches God and says, Father, you are above me. Father, it is your will that is done and not my own. So, Father, may your will be done. He ends this book by giving us one last charge. Giving us one last directive on this faith that perseveres. How does this practically look? Verse 19, he says this. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. The admonishment for the church, both in Jerusalem that's scattered and and for us today, is to approach people in love, but in the truth of the gospel. James' last directive in this work that is built around a faith that lasts, a faith that perseveres. The final charge, the parting words of James is if someone wanders from the truth, armed with the gospel, bring them back. Share the truth of who God is, of of who Christ is, of what he has done in love. And the promise is that if it is God's will, it will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So we turn them back with what? Not chastisement, not anger, not resentment. No, we, we bring people who have strayed from the truth back in love, armed with the truth of the gospel. This is the mission of the church. That that we would pray with one another, that we would carry each other's burdens, that we would uh, confess our sins to one another. If we see a brother or sister who has strayed from the truth, our response, our mission is to go and bring them back with the truth of the word and who God is. This is the directive that James lays out at the end. Go to them in love armed with the gospel. Proclaim what Christ has done. Proclaim who he is. Remind them of the truth. So we turn them back, not with our own words. We turn them back with the gospel message. As we close out our time together this morning, close out the book of James, there's a directive for us in chapter 5 that we would carry one another's burdens that we would pray with one another that we would confess our sins to each other that we would remind one another of what Christ has done for us and so in just a moment uh, we're going to sing together we're going to sing a hymn of praise together What I would encourage you is this.
bring your prayers and petitions to God. This has been a tough week for a lot of people. Uh, this has been a week of, of suffering. Uh, this has been a week of pain for a lot of people that I've talked to. The reality is, is, is for some of you that I haven't even talked to, this is, is true of you too. And I'm reminded of the words of James when he says, listen, are you, are you suffering? Are you in trouble? Pray. Is life going great? Pray. The response of the church, regardless of circumstance, should be to go to God. And so just a moment, as we sing together, what I want to invite you to do is, is if you feel comfortable with it, come forward and pray. But here's what I would also say. Don't let anyone pray alone. Come with them. Come alongside them. This is the directive that the Lord has given us through the book of James. That we carry each other's burdens together. That we walk in each other's pain and suffering together. That we celebrate the joy in each other's life together. This is who the church is. And so... Wherever you're at, if you want to do it in your seat, great. Bring somebody with you. If you want to come forward, awesome. Bring someone with you. If you see someone praying, great. Go with them. This isn't just a a flippant thing that James has said. This is the directive for who the church is called to be. A praying church. I've had people over the last several months ask, what's What's my vision for Red Brush? <laughs> well, one of those is this. That we are a church that carries one another's burdens. That we are a church that walks alongside in pain or in blessing together. That Red Brush Christian Church would be a church that is marked by being a praying church. That we understand that every good and perfect gift is from God. And we praise Him for it. That we understand that suffering and trial is a part of this life and we long for Christ to return and we pray together for that. That sickness is inevitably a part of a fallen world and we go to those people and we pray that God would heal them either in this life or certainly the next. And we remind those who have strayed from the truth, the truth of the gospel and love. So in just a moment, I would invite you forward. I would invite you to pray where you're at. I would invite you to come up and pray with me. But all of this is possible because of what Christ has done on the cross. Throughout James's book, what we should never stray from is that the works that are necessary are not our own. That we are saved by Christ and Christ alone. We are no longer a church that walks with no hope because of what Jesus has done. Whatever circumstances are in this life, we say, Lord, but the best is yet to come because of Jesus Christ. There is life to come that we long for where all is made new that is possible because of Jesus Christ. So what I would encourage you to do is you have, if you have not accepted him, if you've 
feel the Holy Spirit drawing you in, you recognize that you are a sinner. It is time to repent and turn and confess the name of Jesus, and he's faithful to forgive. So as the band sings, I would invite you forward. I want to invite you to pray where you're at. I want to invite you to come uh, and pray with me, but don't let this moment pass without declaring the goodness and the greatness of God because who are we that the Most High God would hear us? Father, I thank you for that truth that you hear our prayers, that you hear our cries. Lord, you hear our struggles. You hear our victories, God, but all of that should bring us to understand the greatness and the grace of who you are, that you would hear us. That we can approach you in the middle of trials and you hear us. So Father, whether healing comes in this life or healing comes in the next, Father, help us to be patient. Help us to trust and walk and obey you. Father, you have promised that you will come and make all things new. Father, we thank you that this is a coming hope because of your son's broken body and his shed blood. Father, you've promised us for all who would confess your name, who would repent of our sins, who would walk in obedience through baptism to you, you are faithful to forgive. So Father, maybe for the first time or for the thousandth time, would you remind us of the truth of the gospel? And may we respond to that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your inspired writing of James. Father, may this just continue to grow our desire to walk in your word and be obedient to you. So, Father, we thank you. You are righteous, you are holy, and you are good. You are the name above every other name. So, Father, through all these things, it is in Christ's precious name that we pray.